This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson. 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 Carlson, I got other Carlson. Carlson, 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 scores. Yeah, yes. Welcome everybody to the second live episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey yes. Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys on Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host Elon Dubrovsky, and with me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Thanks to Dave for that electrifying air bass to go to accompany that outstanding intro. I think anybody who had anything to say about our last musical intro to the first live show, I think critics may have been silenced with that one. Thank you, Dave. You know, I was planning on editing it out and just putting in the actual audio file, but I guess now we can't. So Dave, you're in the show again. <laughs> Thanks everyone for joining us live. Thanks to everyone who downloaded the show and is listening. We've got a big episode for you. Lots of content to cover from the last week in fantasy hockey. And of course, we'll take some questions from the people listening live here on Blab. Before we get into everything, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com. It's the best website for fantasy hockey. We say it every week. At this point, it's kind of like I asked Brian, what should I say about Dauber Hockey this week? He's like, I don't know. What haven't we said? It's the best. You go there for line combinations, starting goalies, articles. Today, there was some nothing trade. Sean Mathias got traded. You wouldn't even think it's fantasy relevant, but they're still there writing articles about, you know, the- Sean Mathias. Oh, yeah, Brian. Uh, with live shows, I can't edit out by correcting my pronunciations of all the names. Anyways, definitely, if you want to make a push for your finals and you haven't gone to DauberHockey.com, now is the time to correct that and get the information you need to win your championship. Yeah, DauberHockey.com. And, you know, we get a lot of questions about prospects sometimes, and those are tough ones for us to answer. Prospects aren't generally our forte using sort of the sort of stats and analytical tools that we do use. There's not a whole lot to go on with those from that perspective with rookies or prospects who have yet to be rookies. But Dauber Hockey has a prospect session section with frequently updated information about every single prospect that you can think of that would ever be any kind of asset in your fantasy league. You can check it out, dauberhockey.com, and then click over to Dauber Prospects from there because I don't know the exact URL offhand. Okay, good job. <laughs> you know, you have to face the camera while you're talking. Well, the problem is, is that my microphone is to the right of my computer and mm -hmm. I want to make the sound quality better than the video quality. So if I'm looks like I'm talking to somebody else, I'm not. It's you guys. OK. The whole time. All right. Well, let's get into the content. By the way, Brian, when you're talking, no one can see your face. But OK, <laughs> let's get into the content. We have to start with some fantasy hockey headlines. We've got so much, right? There's like hot streaks, uh, like injuries. All, you know, there was a coach being fired, line changes, but let's start with a couple of outjuries, a couple of big names. First of all, let's talk about Jason Spezza, 
who is back for the Dallas Stars. A pretty nice return for him, right? Like he's played two games so far. He had two assists against Arizona. Actually, no points against Boston, even though Dallas scored three goals. And, you know, it's sure it's interesting, but it's not, not so fantasy relevant, right? Like, obviously, Jason Spezza isn't available in your league. But the reason why I want to bring this up first is because that just gets us all back into the whole carousel, which is the Dallas Stars top six. And we talked about last week how maybe Patrick Sharp would be able to bounce back from his thumb once Spezza came back. And we thought it would happen because in that first game back, Sharp went to the top line to play with Sagan and Ben, where, of course, everyone wants to be. He had an assist in that game. Everything was looking great. Then the news came out that the next game against Boston, they put Alish Hemsky on the top line. They bumped Sharp back down to playing with the likes of Eakin and Roussel. But he scored a goal, and Hemsky was on the top line, and he scored a goal. But then by the end of the game, it was back to Eves being on the top line. So the whole thing is just so crazy. Brian, like, what do people do with some of these players? I'm assuming we're not grabbing Hemsky. Eves is the kind of guy that when he's on the top line, he produces, but he always ends up being taken off. I don't even know what to do. With what? (laughs) I don't know what to do with (laughs) who to pick up on Dallas. Okay, let's start. Okay, let's start with number one. Patrick Sharp went to the top line, then got bounced back to the bottom six. We said before that you should at least hold on to him until Spezza comes back because maybe that will put him in a good position. But now that he's been taken off that top line, could we finally say maybe you need to start looking for other options aside from Patrick Sharp? Um, yeah, I think it is time to... I mean, anyone who's had Patrick Sharp over the last little while has known that you know his his production livelihood depends on being on that top line. So anytime that he spends time off that top line is cause for concern for anyone who owns him. Like Patrick Eves up there, to me, that doesn't mean a whole lot. It looks like they just want a guy named Patrick on the top line one way or the other. I feel like there's going to be a lot of shifting as the season rolls on and continues through to the end. I'm not sure exactly what Dallas is planned as long term. I think they're best suited. I don't know. They, they can work either way. The thing with Sharp is that he's either producing just above three goals for per 60 minutes while he's on the ice at even strength on that top line. But when he's away from that top line, he is producing uh, and his teammates are producing one goal less per 60 minutes. And that's that's actually a pretty good jump. Like it, it might not make sense in terms of a rate set, but if you're talking about you know, two goals for every 60 minutes played. So that's, you know, not one every three games compared to three goals for every 60 minutes played. It, it, it makes a difference. So for Sharp, that's a big problem because he needs to be on that top line to be producing. Um, but for the Dallas Stars, it doesn't seem to be because Eves has been able to get up there and score some goals from time to time. And we saw that last season as well. And we see that Sharp, um, you yeah, we see that Sharp doesn't even seem to necessarily be a fixture on the second line. Like if he's not going to be on the top line, it looks like playing with Jason Spezza at this point is not yet an option. Uh, can I get into Jason Spezza now, Elon? Do I have permission? Of course. All right. So it, it's good It's good to see Spezza back. So focusing on that second line now, because we were singing his praises earlier this year. He has 42 points in 54 games so far this season. He's been a point-per-game player for several 10-game stretches and more so far. He did get injured for a little while. He's back now. Like you said, Elon, good return. And I think this is a a boost for anyone who does get to play with him on that second line. So far, that's Yanmark and Hemsky. Neither one of those guys are consistent scorers, either with or without Spezza. But if you're in a really deep league or you're maybe considering streaming a guy in a week that Dallas is playing four games and has weak opponents, maybe, you know, you can bump them up your list a little bit because of Spezza's return. Yeah, and I guess a nice thing about Hemsky is he's playing with Spezza. He's actually got four, what was that? He's got like one, two, three, four, five points in his last 
six games. He's on a bit of a run. And if he doesn't play with Spezza, there's always that small chance that he could play on the top line with Ben and Sagan, like we saw uh, yesterday against Boston. So maybe there is some short-term benefit to Hemsky. Five shots on goal last game also. He does, every once in a while, have a game with like a ton of shots. He had a seven-shot game back at the beginning of February. So yeah, someone to watch. Obviously, that's only for very deep leagues. Brian, okay, let's talk about the next big outjury. And this guy hasn't even come back yet, but we have to talk about We're getting so many questions because word is that Jake Allen is off the IR. He's going to be coming back to the St. Louis net and you would think, you know, when he got injured, I'm sure all the people who had him were like, oh, my God, I just can't wait till he comes back because he's been one of my star goalies. Now, though, you know, it's not so sure because in his absence, Brian Elliott, as we all know, has just been lights out. Like he's had a 946 save percentage over the last month. He's won in, in 11 games. His last 11 starts, he's won seven of those games. Like the St. Louis Blues have not missed Jake Allen. Elliott's been even better than Allen was before he went down and Allen had been so good. So now... You know, it's it's tough to say if you're an Elliott owner or if you're an Allen owner, it's hard to know what to do. We had a question about, you know, Jake Allen is in my free agency. Should I drop Elliott for him? And it's like, I don't know. That would have been so obvious before. Now I'm not sure. It kind of reminds me last season at one point, I remember that we had Henrik Lundqvist in the league that we do together and he got injured and Cam Talbot was doing so good that when Lundqvist came back, it was kind of like, oh man, are they going to play him? Are they going to play Talbot? Here there's a lot more time left in the season. Like, do you have any insight into what people can do with both of these St. Louis goalies? Well, it kind of reminds me, uh, back around uh, January 2002, when oh. the Dallas Stars had two very good goalies, one by the name of Ed Belfour and the other a young upstart named Marty Turco, and the coach there was Ken Hitchcock. And this is a quote from an article written in January 2002 by then-Stars beat writer Michael Russo in the Dallas Sun-Sentinel it read, two weeks ago, Hitchcock was asked about a potential goalie controversy. Hitchcock said, with the way Marty is playing, I'm really hoping he provides stiff competition and pushes Eddie. That's what we need. We need Eddie to be pushed. Belfour was less than amused, saying that Hitchcock is the leader of this team, or he's supposed to be the leader. So he needs to look himself in the mirror and decide what he needs to do better. And maybe that is his way of deciding to start putting pressure on players and playing mind games. If he wants to play that game with me, fine. For every action, there is a reaction. He did that last year, and it didn't work. It backfired. So, okay, some personal history between Belfort and Hitchcock coming into play there. But you can hear lesson. the frustration. And uh, Belfort was never really an easy-to-please guy. He had several, I think, run-ins with um, bad behavior, if you can have a run-in with bad behavior, known uh, for not being the best teammate. or be best But uh, the point being is that he was frustrated because he was in a situation where the Stars had a proven goalie who could play well at the NHL level and another goalie that they were essentially using to push him and essentially pitting one against another and playing kind of mind games. And I'm, it was like mercifully over in St. Louis before Allen got injured because we've been having this discussion for years. And Allen, for the first time, in as far as I can remember, he was the legitimate no doubt starter in St. Louis. There was no talk about splitting games. There was no talk about the hot hand. It was Jake Allen through thick and thin. Allen got injured. Elliot went on a run. Elliot was on an incredible run. He's only lost three games in regulation since January 1st. Like you said, Elon, he's putting up a 937 save percentage in that span. So what do you do in that situation? I don't even know if I were coach, and I certainly don't know with Ken Hitchcock being coached. This is a guy who has, for the better part of the last 15 to 20 years, been driving 
goalies and players crazy without really making clear his intentions or letting him know how he's going to play them. So I'd love to see Allen say get two out of every three starts or three out of every four starts for at least the next two, three weeks so he can show that he can keep up with Elliot or get a chance to really reclaim that number one job. But I just don't know that that's going to be the case. Ideally, I'd be telling everybody, well, Allen's back. Everybody drop Elliot. You can use that spot on your roster for something else now. But I'm not there yet. I think for the time being, you hold on to both because if Allen struggles, I mean, the Blues are comfortably in a playoff spot right now, so they're not really worried about contending other than, you know, going into the playoffs strong, feeling good about their team and having everything sorted out. Uh, I don't know. I don't think there's a reason to play one goalie or another right now. I think it's going to be Ken Hitchcock's whim, which unfortunately I have zero control over. Right. Well, so maybe Hitchcock learned from uh, his experiences in 2002. Uh, we'll have to wait and see. You know what? Going into the season and for the first couple of months, they pretty much split starts. So I think it's likely they could get back to that, right? Until one of them proves that they're the better. Like Alan proved, like Elliot wasn't as good. And Alan really proved that he deserved those extra starts. And I have a feeling that that's going to happen again now. And Elliot's been really good. So yeah, if you're an Alan owner, and Elliot's available, like, you know, that for the guy who asked me on Twitter, should he drop Elliot to pick up Allen off IR? I'd be like, actually, you should drop someone else, even though it sucks to have to drop a skater, but it's worth it. And even, and some people are go like, I don't want to have four goalies, or I don't want to have three goalies. I always run two goalies. Sometimes it's worth it just for the short term, at least get the insurance of having both of them. And then hopefully by your fantasy hockey playoffs, one of them will emerge. And then maybe you could drop one for a skater then. That's the best advice we could give right now. It's funny, people in the chat here, some people are like Team Elliot and some are Team Allen. You know, I wish we could just like tell you who wins, but we're going to have to wait and see, unfortunately. Yeah, that's the hope that one becomes the clear-cut guy sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, unfortunately, especially if you've been, if you added Elliot to handcuff them, uh, you're stuck. You're stuck with both. I wouldn't want to make a decision on, on picking one or dropping one at this point. And I just want to make a note, Elon, because we have a lot of questions in the chat, and I meant to mention this at the top of the show. Uh, we're going to get through. We have a plan for the show, so we're going to go through it. We're going to take care of questions more towards the end of the show. Keep feeling free to put stuff out there to comment and share what you're thinking about what we're saying or asking questions from other people, but we might just not be able to get to you until later on in this episode. Yes, but that, yeah, definitely. Uh, if, if you have a question or something we're talking about in the moment, we could try to bring that in, but we'll see what we can do. Brian, okay, before we get to like injuries and outjuries and stuff, I guess that, that was for outjuries. I want to talk about Mike Yeo getting fired from the Minnesota Wild, and they brought a new coach, John, John Torchetti, and like this has been a really good move for them, or at least it seems to have been. I'm sure you'll bring some advanced ass to see if it really was, but you know the numbers don't lie. Like Minnesota has been on fire since the coaching change, including a couple of guys who we thought were left for dead, including Jason Pominville, who maybe you should have made that bet with me, because in his last three games, he's got six points! Three goals and three assists, one goal and two assists today against Chicago. So Pominville just out of nowhere. He had been doing nothing for so long, and all of a sudden, he's doing really well. Mikhail Granlin's gotten some points. Charlie Coyle, who we recommended last week, he's still doing well. He was doing well before, but it's just like all of a sudden, we have a whole new look. Minnesota Wild, another change to the team is that Jared Spurgeon came back, though he hasn't done too much. He had a goal and assist in his return, but since then, no points, like hardly any shots, a few blocks, but... Um, like, do you see something different about this new Minnesota Wild team with the new coach, or is it just kind of like luck that has had them uh, change their results? So, too soon to say uh, definitively or with any sort of reasonable conclusion, but 
my first guess would be when they filed my when they fired Mike Yeo, uh, I thought that it, no matter what, there was nowhere left to go for the Wild but up. So things were going to get better. It was just a matter of time. If you look at their PDO, which is a term we I guess we haven't mentioned on the show a whole lot lately. So just to summarize for in case it's any in case it's new to anybody, uh, you expect that a team's save percentage and a team's shooting percentage will both balance out to like this perfect round number that ends up being a hundred um, based on how it's calculated. And essentially, if you're getting uh, an abnormally high or low shooting percentage or save percentage, it will put your PDO above or below a hundred. And that means that you are either playing over your head, over what you should be expected to do, or uh, not meeting expectations based on uh, what you should be. So a lot of the times we talk about goalies playing out of their mind or shooters going cold. Both those things would affect the team's PDO and everything was going poorly for Minnesota in that losing streak. They were giving up goals left and right. They weren't scoring goals at all. And it's actually not the first time that they've had that problem, even in recent memory. If we take it back to the winter of 2015, not to get too historic on you, we're just going back one year this time, back to January, the day that Devin Dubnik was traded, their PDO was like in similar shape to what it was just when Mike Yao was fired. And you can't say that Devin Dubnik came back and improved their PDO, although he did lift it incredibly high because of his Herculean save percentage performances. But he came at the right time to sort of feel like it was him that made the big change. Now, any goalie that comes in and does what he did, which was post like a 930 over that span of time, will, you know, lift a team no matter what. But if he came in and just played like 915, 920, we still would have seen a change in their fortunes. And I guess all this to say that um, the Wild were due for a change in their fortunes. And it's not clear yet whether we can say that's the only reason or that, you know, their coach was very bad and the players didn't like him and he was blowing every decision that he made. Uh, Bottom line for us as fantasy hockey watchers, uh, we don't really care what the reason is. We're just happy that it's over, at least for the short term, and we'll keep an eye on certain Minnesota Wild players and hoping that everything continues to stabilize. Jason Pominville, by the way, six points in his last three games played. He's been like the embodiment, I feel like, of the Wild struggles all year. A super low shooting percentage, uh, just no puck luck, even though everything else seems to be looking about right under the hood. The pucks just aren't going in. So I'm hoping, is this a reset button for Jason Pominville? This is the third week in a row, I think, that we're asking that question. Well, but now we finally have some good results that we, you know, before I remember when we were saying, oh, he had a good game with a lot of shots, but nothing had gone in. But of course, that's usually a sign. So maybe I was dumb. Brian, you're always right. I'm always wrong. Jason Pomville obviously still has something still to give. And, you know, if you look at the Minnesota lines right now, one of the players he's playing with, well, his line is himself, Nino Niederreiter, and Eric Huala. And Huala actually is also on fire right now. He had a goal and two assists today, which gives him seven points in those last four games. The thing with Huala is he doesn't play. Oh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right, by the way. Maybe Haula. 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 But yeah, he's like uh, not <laughs> getting the power play time. So that's one thing maybe against wanting to pick him up. But, you know, the results don't lie in the end. And Niederreiter also um, had a, two assists against Calgary. Like, uh, everyone is, is producing now with the new coach. So it's obviously a great position for the new coach to be in and makes him look like a genius. We'll see how this continues. At the end of the day, it's nice they could have multiple lines scoring. And yeah, you might want to start looking at some of these Minnesota players that you may have left for dead. I'm sure guys like Granlund and Pominville are available in a lot of leagues now, and there's probably still Coyle. 
who's still playing with Parise and Koivu, a slow, a slow day today for them, but still that line has been red hot. So lots of interesting options for you if you're a wild owner. There's also Matt Dumba, by the way, who we talked about. He was doing really well. He's still doing well, but his minutes are way down now. I think it's because Spurgeon is back. And so he's taking a big share of ice time and Dumba's minutes are down. But hey, Dumba's got three points in his last two games. So nothing to complain about there. Really, everything's good right now. Yeah, yeah, everything's good right now. And I think it's it's best to use common sense here. Like, there's no way John Torchetti came in and changed every system they had, changed everything that was going on, and changed it successfully uh, in three games played. So, like I said, I think the team was due for a bounce back. Maybe something had to be done to precipitate that bounce back. Uh, great that is happening. Good point on mentioning Eric Halla, Elon. If we look back to last year, it was about this time last year where he did have two multi-point games back-to-back. That was a really big deal at the time. I remember everyone was starting to wonder, well, is he is he, is he going to be able to start doing a little more because he was getting some shots on gold as well? Um, I don't expect this to last from Eric Halla. He has 17 points so far this year. Um, so don't get too excited about every wild player. But in the meantime, guys like Coyle and Niederreiter and Koivu and, dare I say, Pominville and Granlund, might be worth a look if any of them are free agents in your league right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so now let's move on to some players on hot streaks, I think what we, is what we've got to do, because there's some players, there's one player actually that I want to talk about first, which we've talked about for the last couple of weeks, but maybe our opinion has changed. We just have to keep mentioning him until something changes, right? And who do you think it's going to be? It is Je- <laughs> Jordan Stahl. Holy cow. He's still going at this point. Like what, what's the run right now? He's got 22 points in 21 games in 2016. And that's actually not including today. Carolina's playing today against Tampa Bay and he already has an assist. So the streak keeps going. Jordan Stahl. And I believe we talked about him and you sort of said, and I agreed, you know, like obviously this kind of run can't keep up. Like he hasn't produced like this for a long time. And he's playing with these line mates in like Nordstrom and Nestrasil. But, you know, the points keep coming. And at some point, it's like, Brian, have we changed our mind about Jordan Stahl? Is he for real? Like, can we depend on him to be a 60-plus point pace player or even like an 80? You know, he's playing like a point per game right now. Ah, I'm very very curious to know if you've changed your mind about Jordan Stahl. Ah, that's Ah. all we can say about it. We're so excited. So I'm going to get super interactive here. If there was a function where I could put this chart into the chat, I would. But I'm actually just uploading a couple charts. Uh... And I think they will let anyone who's wondering know um, what I'm about to say, uh, maybe after like staring at them sideways for five minutes, but I'll just say it. Okay. I looked, I looked really hard. I looked for something to tell me that Jordan Stahl was doing something really different over the last two months while he's been producing at this essentially, well, point per game pace more than that, 22 points in 21 games. If he's getting more shot attempts per game, he's getting more shots on goal per game, more scoring chances per game. But there's only one number that really sticks out for Jordan Stahl. Well, there's two, but there's one that's the most key. And you can see it from a mile away, both inside this run and looking at his body of work in Carolina as a whole. His shooting percentage is off the charts. And we went into this last time, but I'm just going to, I need to recap it because it's gotten to an even more ridiculous point right now. So in his four years with Carolina so far, starting with the first year he was there, these are his shooting percentage numbers, 9%, 9%, 6.5%, poor guy, snake bitten a little bit. This year, 14.5%. That is pretty much a 5 6% jump over what he's generally been able to shoot in Carolina. And that is not a reasonable thing to happen. He has 14 goals 
on his last 34 shots, he's shooting 41% in this exciting little stretch that he's in. That, yes, fair enough, I did say that I didn't have a lot of faith in it last week. Uh, I still don't, but he's been able to keep it up anyway. Now, we, we've seen these high shooting percentages before around the league. Like 41% makes me think of guys like Alex Chason way back when or Oscar Lindbergh and Matthias Janmark earlier this season when they were cruising with really great shooting success. But neither of those guys were able to keep up their conversion rates this high over a span of like 20 plus games. We're talking a quarter of a season here. So does the fact that Saul has has kept this up for nearly two months and 21 games make his current run of crazy shooting percentage mean anything more to me than those shorter runs from the Yanmarks and Lindberghs? Uh, the answer is no. Like, I, I don't think it matters if he does this for 20 games. If he does this for 40 games, uh, that's going to be incredibly impressive. But the longer he goes, the greater the odds that it will all collapse very quickly at some point. Uh, in four years in Carolina stalls, essentially, he's been a 45, 50-point guy, 50-point ceiling, essentially, if you're looking at him on a points-per-game basis. Elon, you asked if he's suddenly a 60-point guy. He's not. He's not. I think optimistically, he's a 50-point guy. There is nothing under the hood about his recent play that inspires me to think that his ability to produce has changed at all, or that his role has significantly changed at all, or the way he's behaving on the ice has changed at all. He's just having shots go in, and so are his teammates. The other number that jumps out is his on-ice shooting percentage. If you look at like the last couple years, actually since 2013 in Carolina, he has never seen these kinds of heights in shooting percentage or on-ice shooting percentage in that entire span. So we're talking like a three, four-year span, has never seen this kind of quote-unquote luck or variance before work for work in his favor. Um, so it's great it's happening now, and I wouldn't advise anybody to let him sit in free agency while things are rolling, uh, but you should have a plan B ready for when he peters out. You know, I mean, everything you're saying makes so much sense and that shooting percentage is so high, but it's like, you know, this is what we would have said two weeks ago. We would have looked like idiots. So hopefully, you know, at some point you'll be proven right. You're proven right about uh, Jason Pominville. Um, maybe one small thing is that Jordan Stahl has been getting like about 50% of the power play time. He probably was getting that before. Just Eric Stahl so snake bit snake bitten that I guess it seems as if Jordan Stahl is just doing even better. But yeah, I guess. And you know what? If you do want to ride the Jordan Stahl hot streak, by the way, if he's going to keep going, then probably his line mate Joaquin Nordstrom, who has nine points his last eleven games, that's not including today, and a goal today actually on the the goal that Stahl assisted on. So there are some other players on Carolina that you can look at. But from what Brian's saying, it seems like you don't want to depend on this kind of hot streak to continue. And like a guy like Nordstrom, by the way, you know, he has two goals in his last two games, but he only takes like one or two shots every game. So it is the kind of thing that you don't expect to continue. Brian, you know, and he also has seven career goals in 102 career NHL games. Yeah, so it really makes you think that like, yeah, how can uh, Stahl continue on this pace? His line mates are not the type of guys, but uh, yeah, you're pro I mean, you're probably right. We'll, we'll see. Uh, tweet at us, at Keeper Carlson, if you think we've got this really wrong. I have a feeling, Brian, you're going to be right and that Jordan Stahl is going to cool off very soon. Maybe if you have him, now's the time to try to sell high because maybe you could get someone really good for him because who else has more points than him in the last month or so? I'm sure that's a very small list. We have a question here. So, Brian, like one question would be, like, who would you want more between Jordan Stahl and like David Perron? Who's, who's a guy who also is sort of doing so much better than we would have expected and so much better than he's done for such a long time. 
at this point, I mean, if it's me, I would take Perron just because Perron is playing with Ryan Getzlaff and is on the top power play. It just seems like a better situation. And since he's also hot, that's that's the way I would go. Do you agree? Yes, I agree. I'd go Perron. And we had a question, Elon, from Peter over in the Facebook group. He was looking between uh, Jordan Stahl and Shen. And in his league, waiver wire moves are like gold, like they... It was basically like his last acquisition of the year is going to be Shen or Stahl. Right. And so I'd go Shen. I'd go Shen in that case. I, Stahl is not somebody I'd want to burn a waiver priority for or burn uh, a transaction in a league that caps them and you're right up against the cap. Stahl is a great short-term ad if you've got room to make it, but I wouldn't expect him to be helping you come the time your fantasy playoffs roll around and, oh boy, like, Three weeks? When do they start for most leagues? It's really exciting. Yeah, it, it could be soon. In one of my leagues, it actually where we have two week uh, matchups, and there's three. There's like it starts with eight teams making the playoffs. It's starting in a week from now, which is crazy. And of course, I just found out today that uh, Alex Steen is going to be out for my whole playoff. So I'm very sad about that. But I won't bore you guys with my woes. Also, Ryan O'Reilly, by the way, injured probably for a long time as well. Aren't we going to get to this? Yeah, we'll get to the injuries. I'm just talking about the things that make me sad. <laughs> But okay, the one thing though, by the way, David Perron against him is his minutes aren't as good as Jordan Stahl's. Like that's one thing. Jordan Stahl does get a lot of minutes. I still would take Perron, but maybe it's it, it could be close. Ne- neither of those guys are guys I would necessarily want to depend on a hundred percent. But yeah, okay. Let's go on to the next hot streak I wanted to bring up. This guy we bring up, I'd say once every two or three months, maybe like two or three times a year, we always have to bring up Martin Hansel, who just starts heating up. I don't know, he'll go cold for so long. Actually, I think I figured out what the Martin Hansel um, like pattern is. I think how it works is he does well and he makes me really excited. Then he gets injured. Then when he comes back, he does badly. And then he ends up heating up again after a while. So probably if you pick up Martin Hansel, he's going to get injured again soon because he always seems to do so. But we can't ignore the fact that he's got, like, he had two straight games of having three points. And overall, he's got three goals and four assists in his last four games. He's been taking a lot of shots. Didn't have a great game against St. Louis yesterday. But aside from that, he's just been on fire, playing on a line with Domi and Duclair. Domi also is doing really well. So I don't, I don't, I always like Hansel. And he's the kind of guy who, when you look at his overall shot totals, they don't seem too impressive. But I feel like when he's hot, he does take a lot of shots on goal. Like he has four, five, three, three. Like before yesterday against St. Louis, he went like four games in a row of having more than two shots on goal. So, you know, maybe we could compare him to a guy like Jordan Stahl. But what do you think about Martin Hansel right now? Uh, Martin Hansel, I, you know, the thing with him is that not much has changed between his years and previous years when he has been on a good pace like you said Elon when healthy I think you are onto something because really he's been cold or he's been good this season pretty much the whole way through while he's been on the ice except for a 15 game stretch and that was leading into and coming out of his injury so I imagine he was maybe playing injured for a little while took some time off to heal came back you know got his feet there's no excuse I guess for, for coming back and not doing much for beyond you know two or three games of shaking off whatever rust you might build up from being out of the lineup for a small handful of games. Um, But he's back now. And even during that cold streak, he was still getting his usual numbers of shots and scoring chances more or less. Now that he's back on track, uh, he's putting up points just the way he was at the start of the season, 10 points in his last 10 games. And I think this year is also a, a positive thing because we noticed one other place he's producing more and that's on the power play. Last year, he sort of snake-bitten on the power play with very low on-ice shooting percentage. This year, it's getting 
back to a reasonable level. It's actually still a little low compared to a few years before, um, but it's better. And he's also playing with better players. Elon, I don't know if you already peeked at my notes for the show or if anybody in the chat wants to guess, but I'm wondering if anyone can name just one of Hensel's two most common line mates from last season, the 2014-15 NHL regular season. From last season? Yeah. Oh, man, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Vermette? That's, that's the obvious guess. It was not Vermette, not Doan. We've got some good guesses. Avery? Is that a different? That's, is that from a different conversation? I think so. Okay. That's so, a uh, murderer. He played with <laughs> Martin Erat and Sam Gagne for a bunch of last year. And he was still able to put up reasonable numbers while he was playing with them. So I like the fact that he's playing with better talent now. Max Domi is probably a step up. And Anthony Duclair um, is still at least lateral at worst. Uh, I think Hansel's in a great position. I think now is a sneaky time to pick him up if he is available in your league, having been injured and then having come back cold. So anyone who did like put him on IR or held on to him probably lost patience now that he's coming back on. Could be a good chance to grab him if you're looking for, you know, a bottom or middle bottom roster guy. But hey, you know, you shouldn't uh, rag on Sam Gagne. He was on the top line for Philadelphia in their last game. He and he scored a goal. But obviously, that's just because Giroux. And Sam Gagne. Yeah, Giroux, by the way, isn't going to be injured for long. He's expected to be back next game. But yeah, we'll get to some injuries in a second. I like Martin Hansel. What can I say? I've always liked him, though. And then I always end up either picking him up and then, you know, then he slows down. I always get him at the wrong time. But. Okay, now for hot streaks, we have to get into some goalies because there are some goalies who are really making life difficult. You know, we just talked about Elliot and Allen earlier and saying how they're going to make the some owners' lives difficult trying to figure out what to do. What about some guys, like, let's start in Carolina, like Cam Ward, who, you know, he got injured. And at one point we said on the podcast that now's the time to grab Lack. He's probably going to be able to steal the job. We keep on kind of predicting that Lack's going to steal the job. Just re- recently, the Carolina coach said, no, Cam Ward is going to be the starter. And, you know, for good reason. Like, Ward has been really, really good lately. He's had 10 straight games without a regulation loss. He has an over 930 save percentage in the last month. So at this point, Brian, can we close the book at least here and say that it's over for Eddie Lack? Like, don't pick him up unless you're in a really deep league because Cam Ward's going to get the majority of the starts. Like, Carolina's fighting for the playoffs. And it seems like Cam Ward is their guy. It's so easy when a goalie is putting up 930 to say, yeah, he's our number one guy. What's the coach going to say? Ah, oh, well, you know, we'll see if he can keep this up. But uh, I think he might be 1A or number two. That's I just I don't know that when Cam Ward ends up back in the tank, when his numbers go back down to where they usually are. I don't know at that point that Bill Peters is going to be like, well, Cam's our number one for sure. And uh, I guess there is maybe that sense in Carolina. And this time of year, there's always wild thoughts that uh, it's posturing for a trade or contract or whatever. I don't know what's going on. But Cam Ward, he might be the number one goalie in Carolina, but he's not a number one goalie. He spent as much time below 900 this year as he has spent above it, if you look at his rolling 10-game averages. And the pace he's on now uh, in like the last, say, 10 games or so, He sustained this pace for about uh, 10 games, three or four separate occasions since the last, uh, in the last three years, like say since the start of the 2013-14 season. And essentially what that amounts to is a blind squirrel finding a nut every once in a while. If I bring out my huge list of starting goalies over the last three years that I love to refer to and talk about their even strength save percentages, there are 26 goalies who have played more than 5,000 minutes, including Cam Ward at even strength since 2013. 
25 of those 26 goalies have a better five-on-five save percentage than Cam Ward. So obviously Cam Ward is the 26th goalie on that list. And even if I'm generous, even if I take down the requirement for minutes played to include some guys who have been number ones for part of that time or 1As, 1B situations, he's still, I closed the tab, but he's still like 46 out of 48. He's still abysmal, abysmal. He's had a terrible time. And I'm not just talking about a goalie who is putting up numbers that are way above average and it's saying, well, he's going to go back down to average. No, he spent as much time, I'm going to say it again for effect, below 900 this year in terms of rolling 10 game average save percentage. So I don't really think anybody should be counting on this to continue. If Carolina wants to make a serious push for the playoffs, committing to Cam Ward is not a smart move. And of course, the caveat that we keep putting in when we talk about Cam Ward is that Eddie Lack has certainly not proven himself much worthier so far this year, but I think that maybe Bill Peters should pull a Ken Hitchcock and uh, pit them against one another, have them push each other to try and have one of them step up and run with it. Cause I don't feel, uh, you know what, maybe that's what Ward is doing right now. I should correct myself a little bit there, but I don't think it's sustainable. So I think committing to him for the rest of the season is foolish. I don't think you should do that as a fantasy pulley, but perhaps in the short term, like if you have lack on your, on your team, and you think you can drop him and then pick him up again in like a week or two, maybe that's a move you might make if you're struggling to qualify for your playoffs. All right. So I think I might disagree a little bit. I feel like they're just going to run with Cam Ward at this point. I, I don't Why? have too much faith in Lack. I don't know if the coach said so. He's not, he doesn't want to look like a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so what's he supposed to say if, if 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 i ask him who's your number one goalie the guy who's playing who's putting up a 930 save percentage right now or the guy who's playing a little bit better than the guy who's putting well, up a 930 what would ken hitchcock have said in 2002 he would have said oh whoever's a hotter whoever wins games is gonna you know like We'll see. We'll see. Obviously, you're down on uh, Carolina overall. You don't think Jordan Stahl's going to keep it up. You don't think Cam Ward's going to keep him up, keep it up. If there's any uh, Carolina. No, d- don't don't mischaracterize what I'm saying. I still like what the Canes are doing as a team. I don't think the production they're getting from Jordan Stahl or the goaltending they're getting from Cam Ward can necessarily sustain themselves. But I see them as a good team that came back from a pretty poor start to be within four points of Detroit and Pittsburgh. In a while, uh, for the wild card spot in the Eastern Conference right now, and committing to a goalie who is essentially struggles to to reach to, to stop ninety percent of the shots he faces mm-hmm. several times over the last three years. I don't see how that's going to help them. Well, we'll see. Maybe it's that's the thing with goalies; like you never know. Um, you know, it seems like they could it's in their mind a lot, like more than players. It almost seems like you know they could get in a hot like Dubnik last year for so long. Like, how is it possible he had a save percentage so good for so long, and now he's unable to do it? Anyway, Brian, but he's not as bad as Ward. Do you, do you hear I understand. I get what you're saying. Okay. Okay. okay, one guy I think we could both agree on that we would both want over Cam Ward, probably, or maybe not. At least over Eddie Lack, we can agree that we would both want Robin Leonard at this point. And he's a guy who we said earlier in the year was someone we didn't really want to depend on. He never really proved himself in Ottawa as being that good. Then he came to you know, Buffalo and got injured like right away. And then it was hard to say when we saw that he was going to be coming out of the IR, if he was going to be worth grabbing. But those of you who grabbed him have benefited greatly. He has a 932 save percentage on the year. He actually ended up losing today against Pittsburgh. It doesn't look like it was a good game. From what I'm reading, he made some key saves to keep the Sabres in. And, you know, games against the Penguins are always hard. But yeah, Robin Leonard has been so good. And 
I am starting, we're getting a lot of questions of comparing him to other guys that earlier I would have for sure said, no, you definitely want the other guy. Like we get questions on Twitter about, should I uh, pick up uh, Craig Anderson or Leonard or Varlamov versus Leonard, or maybe some of these uh, tandem guys like uh, Anderson. Cam Ward or Leonard. Cam Ward, sure. Or like Anderson or Gibson on Carolina or like Niemi or Lettinen versus Leonard. And sometimes I think that like Leonard might be the best option here because Buffalo is show- showing themselves to be a really good team. And Leonard has just been really good. And, He's like such a sure number one goalie. So I'm just curious to see what are your thoughts right now on Leonard and like compared to some of these other guys. I feel like your take on Leonard, and we talked about this earlier today in preparation for the show. And a lot of people's takes though, you're you're not the only one is what have you done for me lately? He's been up uh, and down a lot in the course of the 13 starts that he's made or 12 starts that he's had since coming back from injury although not as up and down as you might think. He's had uh, 13 starts in all this year. Eight of them have been quality starts. Two of them, only two of them, I should say only two of them, have been really bad starts. And the other three somewhere in between. Today was not a sterling performance from him, stopping uh, enough shots to earn just an 871 save percentage and a loss. I've been really interested in seeing him play because he's looked good in moments. He held up very well against uh, an Ottawa attack that, really sort of showed that he could at least weather some kind of storm after coming back from injury. That seemed to be when he was getting his legs back. And then slowly and slowly, he has established himself as a better fantasy option. I think what you're looking at him right now for is maybe around the same level as a Cam Talbot. He's playing on a young team that's learning to win, but also I think trying to win. Um, They're still going to lose their fair share, but there is a chance that they can pick up wins along the way. He's going to see a ton of rubber Uh, and he has the potential to put in average numbers on a regular basis. If you're looking for him to be a showstopper and an anchor uh, in your crease, then uh, I think you're you're barking up the wrong tree. But if you're looking for a solid number three option or need uh, reinforcement for your number two option, Lander's a really good guy to have right now. So like uh, Brian, you have in the Keeping Carlson Olsen Patron Fantasy League, you have Anderson and Leonard as your second and third goalies. Let's say if a new rule came in all of a sudden, we said you're only allowed to hold two goalies for the rest of the year. You're obviously going to hold on to Flurry, who's your number one. Who would you be dropping, Leonard or Anderson? It's a really good question because I don't know that I can count on any more wins out of Ottawa than I can out of Buffalo, which would have been my answer earlier in the season. Uh, I'm still going to go with Anderson, though. I think they're going to ride him a lot down the stretch, not to say Leonard won't be ridden, but I think that Anderson uh, is just a little more able. Like we've seen Leonard look really good in a Sens uniform for 10 or 15 games. Uh, We haven't seen him ever look good in any uniform for 25 or 30 games. So I'm waiting for that. And until I see that, I'll stick with Anderson. And, uh, Dave in the chat here, I think at Lightseeker, uh, is saying that he thinks that Chad Johnson has more potential than Leonard. I would disagree. I think that Leonard's definitely the guy that's going to be run in Buffalo, and I wouldn't worry about the backup. And in Ottawa also, I wouldn't worry about the backup in, in Hammond. I don't think that we're going to be seeing what happened last year happen again. Um, yeah, it, it's tough. Like, definitely let us know if you have questions, like on Twitter, about like a goalie versus Leonard. You've already been doing it. I saw here in the chat also Corpus Salo versus Leonard. I would take Leonard... There also, maybe when we get to higher goals, I think Varlamov is an interesting one because Colorado is a team you'd expect to win games, but uh, it gets tough. Leonard's definitely making a case for himself, but I see what you're saying, Brian. Like, maybe a guy like Craig Anderson is a bit more proven overall. Oh, here's a good question, though, and it leads into the next guy I wanted to talk about. So, 
at Real Red here is asking about Greece versus Leonard. And let's talk about Greece because Grace. Sorry. <laughs> Grace. He has been lights out lately, right? Like it's been very interesting over on Long Island. You know, I would say that it's Grice versus Montoya for the best backup of the year in terms of their numbers. Too bad they don't have an award for that in the NHL awards. But like Grice has 945 save percentage in the last month. He did steal a few starts from Halak lately. It even looked like maybe he was going to start challenging because Halak's just been so brutal. Halak's been like under 900 for a while. But then Halak got a shutout in his last game against New Jersey. So now, you know, you can almost throw your hands up in the air and be like, I don't know what's going to happen next. But like for the season, I think... There was a while where Grice and Halak were both doing well, but lately it's just been Grice showing himself to be the better goalie. So I guess before we get into Grice versus Leonard or something like that, just in general, do you have any take on the Islanders goalie situation? And, you know, are they going to split starts? Do we still think it's going to be Halak getting most of the starts when it's all said and done come the fantasy playoffs? This is me not shaking my head and shrugging my shoulders. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like all season long, there's been plenty of reason to give Grice the reins the way that we thought Grice should have been given the reins when he was in Arizona and when he was in Pittsburgh. And even while he was in San Jose towards the end of his tenure there, we thought maybe he could step in and be the number one goalie. Instead, they just let him walk. Um, So I, you know, I I don't know when Grice is going to be able to overtake a goalie, but Elon, you're right. Halak is playing, he's not playing terribly. Like he's playing average. I put him at about average. Um, he's, well, he stops an average amount of shots. Uh, well, what time? Situation. What time span are you looking at for that? I'm looking. I'm looking at on the season. Because yeah, he was good at the start of the year, but in the last month, Halak has an 8.87 save percentage. Like he's really tanked lately. Right. So you'd think that this is the time, and you have a good point. Like Grice started four out of six games. He appeared in five of those games because he relieved Halak in one of them, uh, and then Halak comes in and pitches a shutout against. You know, not necessarily the most offensively potent Devils team. So I'm hoping that Grice at least gets half of the starts. Like, let's say there's four starts coming up. I'm hoping that Grice gets two, Halak gets two. I feel like it's still Halak's job to lose. If he, you know, blows it uh, or continues blowing it, I should say, then he's probably in trouble and Grice can overtake. But I feel like as long as he can stop, you know, 950, 920, put up those save percentages, I feel like Grice is still going to be pushing and and wishing and waiting for a spot. Right. So then, you know, it becomes tough because I I agree with you. And I think that Grice is the type of goalie that's very interesting if he's in your free agent list, because he's probably the goalie I feel the most comfortable with if he gets the start, like in being able to give you a good start and a good win. Like I'm not afraid of Grice blowing up your numbers. Grice's worst, worst game of this past like month is his last game against Washington where he led in three goals. But, you know, it was like he's against Washington. It's hard. They're a good team. And even then, he didn't even have such a bad game. He, he got the loss, and that's, I guess, why Halak got to play the next game. But then when you compare him to a guy like Leonard, you know, and by the way, I'm seeing in the chat someone saying Leonard has been good lately. You know, he, he has been actually good lately. He had a bad game today. But overall, if you look back and over his last stretch, Leonard has been, has been pretty hot. And, you know, games against Pittsburgh and Washington, those are games where almost sometimes you have to not count them. Like, obviously, you have to count them. They count in fantasy. But when you're judging how good a player is, sometimes you have to look at, like, well, maybe it was really tough competition. But... Anyways, it's really hard to say what to do with something like Grice versus Leonard. Because I say when Grice plays, I definitely would want him over Leonard on that given day. But we still don't know for sure how many games he'll play. And it really comes down to also, like, is saves a category? Because with wins, maybe Grice and Leonard will still be the same because Grice has such a higher chance of winning when he plays over Leonard. But if saves is a category, Leonard's probably going to run away with that. 
Yeah, sorry, was there, uh, what was the question <laughs> no, in there? No, I guess that was the question, so I'll just continue. <laughs> I agree with everything you said. I thought that was that was very wise. Okay, thank you. All right, so that's Grice. Those are, I guess, the goalies we wanted to talk about. And one more hot streak we have to mention. We've already mentioned him so much at this point, there's nothing you could do about it. But how can we not just say, Shane, Gostas Bear. <laughs> 15 game point streak now. This is insane. And Crazy. we ha- a lot of people are talking about the Calder race. And the- one of the questions here on the blab uh, from Michael March uh, at Left Wing Lock asked, will Ghost Bear beat out Panarin for the Calder trophy? You know, everyone's talking about this Calder trophy. I didn't realize people care so much. Like, it's just a trophy. Like, it- it's kind of uh, arbitrary, right? Who they're going to vote for. I disagree. It's, it's like the most, it's, I, I know, like growing up, I, it was one of, and like still, it's one of the most interesting trophies to win. Like I remember it was Marty Havlat and Scott Gomez were going toe to toe one year and Scott Gomez won. I was very indignant about it. I remember Ed Jovanovsky winning, you know, like I just, I feel like that's a really big sure. one because you're looking at the player <laughs> who you're going to get to continue hopefully looking at for the next 15, 20 years and keep doing the things he does. Of course, they get it wrong from time to time as they do in every award. Uh, I think it's exciting right. to see. A, Sorry. A, a Calder candidate bursting onto the scene. Come on. All right. You're right. I apologize. That was rude of me. Obviously, it's a lot of fun to keep track of the trophy. But I just mean, like, I hear so much talk about, like, you know, but Panarin is older, so it's not really fair. And, like, obviously, McDavid is a better rookie than Panarin, so shouldn't McDavid get it? And now Ghost Bear, you know, Ghost Bear's obviously doing so amazing. Who, but I'm saying for fantasy, let's just forget about the Calder trophy for now. I want to talk more about like next year. At this point, you can't get Ghost Bear this year, but a lot of people are going to be thinking about like keeper considerations. We've already been having a lot of talks. I think we already discussed this on the podcast, but Brian, you and I had an interesting chat today because you mentioned that Tyson Barry is a guy who's been really hot lately. And he's a guy, you know, who has proven himself to be a really solid defenseman you could count on for at least like 50 points a season, I think, for like the next long while. I think he's going to be pretty reliable for that. If you had to choose, which one to keep going into next season, Tyson Berry or Shane Gostas-Beher, who would you keep? So I'd keep Tyson Berry, but it's not to take anything away from Ghost Bear. And I think this is a question that we've had. We had in another form uh, earlier this year. I don't remember if it was just in the patron group or if we talked about it on the podcast, but essentially my answer is Ghost Bear can only push himself so far up my draft list at this point, just because he's a rookie. And there's just not a huge body of work. Now, if you tell me, Elon, to think of a rookie defenseman who came in and put up the production that Ghost Bear is putting up and did not continue to be at least somewhat of an offensive force in his career, I'd be really hard-pressed to to come up with that name. That might be an interesting thing. Maybe if anybody's listening, they can let us know, uh, either live in the chat or write us in if they can think of an example but still, I'd rather go for the proven entity. And of course, anytime Coach Bear's name comes up as a keeper candidate, uh, quickly after that comes the name of Ivan Provorov. Provorov. Try my best to pronounce that there. Uh, as somebody who is also coming up in the flyer system, expected to maybe take on some of the power play duties one of these days. Uh, Ghost might not be the only guy. He might not be the Mark Streit of the blue line. They might be a split duty if Provorov does turn out to be a legitimate NHLer and an offensive uh, defenseman. Uh, so for those reasons, uh, that, that reason is very secondary, but just for the reason that I know what I'm going to get from Barry because I've seen him do it several years now, uh, I'll take him. And it is like a, an unfair bias against Ghost Bear, but it's one of the biases that I use to operate my fantasy hockey teams. Right. And I guess it's the kind of thing where 
maybe you will end up, uh, you know, getting it wrong. And maybe like Barry will only get his 55 points and Ghost Bear will get like 70 points. Like, oh, I could have had those 15 extra points. But I think there's probably, I see what you're saying because maybe there's a better chance that Ghost Bear will be a bust and end up getting only like 35 points. I mean, who knows? It's hard to imagine that right now, but also it's hard to imagine him being able to keep up a point per game pace. Like Barry's having a great year, like he has been for a while. And he's been going up and up, right? He had 53 points last season. And this year he's on like a 57 point pace. So he's probably going to improve. And so I see what you're saying. And that these decisions are tough, you know? And like last year, Klingberg was amazing. And then people who took him this year really benefited. And even though Klingberg actually has like slowed down a little bit, but yeah, I, I think I'd actually agree with you and take Barry... Uh, I don't know. I was thinking more before about Falk versus Ghost Bear, and Thing I was thinking is, I, I would go Ghost Bear, but Barry even seems on a level higher. I wouldn't take. Yeah, he he sure does. The way he's going lately, on a huge hot streak right now. For anyone who owns him, seven points in his last five games, uh, three of those coming on the power play, seven shots, and the game-winning goal against Edmonton last night. I think the measuring stick for Ghost Bear is if you got a defenseman who is going to get you 50 points or more, or has done that once or twice in their career, in a, in a career that's lasted two or three seasons or more, uh, I would take that guy over Ghost Bear. If you're looking at, say, a 45, a 40, 45 point guy, who's maybe, you know, already in the middle of his career arc, uh, in that sense, that maybe that's where I start looking to Ghost Bear. Like he's at the top of the next tier below the 50 point guys, but I, I'm not considering him in the same breath as them just yet. All right. Okay, Brian, we probably need to get to these questions because it's already, we're almost an hour in here. A few more You're things right. that we can just cover them quickly. I wanted to bring up a couple of cold streaks. I don't want to call them snoozers because then obviously they're going to do well and then we look bad. But I'll just say a couple of guys I'd be curious to get your thoughts on. One is Kyle Turris. A lot of talk in the Patreon group about, about Kyle Turris because he's come back from injury and he is pointless in 12 games. Not even a single assist for Kyle Turris. And this is a guy that people probably drafted pretty high expecting at least a 60 point pace at this point people have to decide going into their fantasy playoffs do they ride him or do they drop him and like just do you have a sense of what people should be doing about tourists he actually only has six shots in his last eight games like he hasn't had a game of over two shots he hasn't had a game over one shot he's only had in his first game back from injury he had two shots since then only one or zero shots he's still getting big minutes but no points hardly any shots like what's going on Hot topic in the patrons Facebook group. Uh, there's a lot of people who own uh, Kyle Torres and are super frustrated that ever since he went down to injury, he hasn't done anything. And I, I've watched a few Zen's games in the last couple of weeks. And I just uh, doesn't look like he's really up to par, like up to snuff. Like he's not, uh, doesn't seem to have the same jump as he did. And I know we're talking in sort of, uh, things that are hard to quantify, but just from my own eyes, comparing to what I saw at the start of the season from him, it's just not the same. And we know like when he got injured, I think he tried to tough it out for a while because he had like the Sens Iron Man streak going. And I feel like there was some pride attached to that. So he kept playing longer than he should have. And I feel like he came back sooner than he should have as well. So I think maybe the severity of the injury increased and his recovery time decreased, which probably doesn't add up to or which might actually be adding up to what we're seeing now. I don't think it lasts forever. I feel like he does get his legs out from under him at some point over the course of the rest of the year. At least I hope he does. The other alternative, the extreme uh, polar uh, alternative would be if he is shut down for the season because of this nagging injury that doesn't go away. I have seen no word that he is still suffering from injury. I imagine they'll be pretty tight-lipped about it. 
Sens are trying to make a push for the playoffs. So I also don't think that they're going to give him any more days off or that he wants to take any more days off than he's forced to. Um, just in a tough spot. If you have Kyle Tourist, it's a really tough call to make. I feel like if you dropped him in your league today, even in a reasonably deep one, I don't think there would be a mad dash to pick him up. And so you sort of have to gauge the temperature of your league in this situation if you are a tourist owner. If you see him dropped, uh, if he was dropped in one of my leagues, and he actually was in a fairly, in a fairly shallow one, though, uh, I'm not thinking of adding him until I see some production. So if you think other owners in your league are feeling the same way, then maybe it's time you do the same thing. If there is a reasonable replacement for him, like I would not want to drop him for a guy who I'm hoping, you know, for a 45 point pace from for the rest mm-hmm. of the season, I drop him for maybe a Charlie Coyle or a Jason Pominville, someone who we're hoping will catch fire and is turning their own season around. So then in that case, I think I'll know the answer to this one because Dave asked in the chat, who would you rather have between tourists and Aginla? And Jerome Aginla is a guy who's like on the opposite side of tourists. He's got 10 points in his last eight games. He's playing on a great line with like Duchesne and he's on the top power play. I think for me right now, you got to go with Aginla who's producing like crazy over Kyle Turris who's doing nothing. It's that that's a really tough one. I think my answer would be how patient are you? How, how, Playoffs time. How tight? Well, that's it. I mean, how in tight are you? Are you already in your playoffs? Are you going to make your playoffs if you keep Torres and he still doesn't score any points? Or do you need production now? I think that's ultimately, at this point in the fantasy season, that's going to be the uh, reason that you make the call one way or the other. Okay. All right. So, Brian, I'm just going to run through a couple of things really quickly now. Maybe you could just give like a yes or no if you agree with me or not, and then we could get to these questions. Yes. But I still have some more things that I just wanted to mention. First of all, another cold streak. Maybe even at this point, I would call this guy a snoozer. Mike Green. Holy cow, Mike Green. Like, how can he not do anything? Like, Cronwall has been injured. He finally got the chance to prove himself as the number one power play guy. And he's just done nothing with the opportunity. Pointless in five games. He only played 16 and a half minutes in his last game for Detroit. And now Cronwall's on his way back. Like, do you, I think that Mike Green is a snoozer at this point and could probably be dropped in a lot of leagues. Do you disagree? You know, I want to hear if anyone in the chat owns Mike Green, I'd like to hear from you and your thoughts. I know, Elon, Mike Green has been killing you lately and you're very upset about it. And he didn't earn any favors uh, when he was day to day for like a week or two weeks or whatever it was with that groin issue. Um, So I know you and, and I have him too. So you and I are both pretty upset with what we're seeing from him so far. I agree that he hasn't given us at all what we hoped for. When Cronwell went down, we both thought, oh, this is a good uh, chance, a good opportunity for him to step forward and be that guy on the power play without any competition. And his power play time did go up. He was seeing a greater share of his team's power play time since the injury, uh, unfortunately, has not made much of it. I think... I think he's droppable. I mean, if you look at what he's done over the course of the season, Gone. he's essentially, he's not even on pace for 30 points. Um, and given the power play time that he's been getting, I feel like he should be doing better than that. So it's it's hard to drop him because I feel like there are times this season where he's had a good week or he's had a good, you know, 10 days. And I think that is a possibility for any of the remaining weeks in the fantasy season that he could have one of those good weeks. It, Basically, do you think you're going to have a better chance with one of your with that one of your free agent defensemen has one of those good weeks than Mike Green? Do they have a better chance of having two or three points in a matchup than Mike Green does? That's what you're looking at at the end of the day. In my league right now, I don't see any free agents that fit that description, but Elon, maybe in your league you do. 
Yeah, or maybe you're just going to use that as a streaming spot and just like go for people who are playing more games. But yeah, it seems like most people in the chat are saying green is someone to let go. Nothing really. It's just like I really thought that this Cronwall injury would be green's chance to prove himself. And he did okay for the first couple of games, but also the fact that he's not even getting 20 minutes. Like he didn't play 20 minutes last game. So clearly the coaching staff doesn't depend on him. All right. Really quickly, I'm going to run down. Okay, a couple of interesting line changes. By the just FYIs for people, Ryan Callahan has been playing with Stamkos on the top line recently, and he has six points in his last eight games, so he might be someone you want to look at. And then I'll also say Washington has really messed with their lines in an interesting way. They basically swapped Kuznetsov and Williams with Backstrom and Oshie. So their top six right now is Kuznetsov, Ovechkin, and Justin Williams on the first line, then Burakovsky, Oshie, and Backstrom on the second line. And you, know you could what? have also just said that they swapped Ovechkin with Backstrom and saved Ugh. yourself a little. Oh, wait. No, did I still get that? I No, I got that wrong. You did it very well. Sorry. Okay, <laughs> thanks. But yeah, so I think obviously this is great news for Kuznetsov, but he was fine anyway. So basically everyone's probably fine, though I am concerned about Burakovsky, who just was yelling so well with Kuznetsov. You know, he only has... It's only been two games that he hasn't gotten a point, but now it's two, point, two games in a row with zero points for Burakovsky and... I liked it better when he was with Kuznetsov. And that's crazy to say because Nicholas Backstrom is so amazing and he should be someone I'm happy that he's going to be playing with. But right now I feel like it's just, ah, Kuznetsov has been so amazing. But So great. It's definitely something to watch with Burakovsky. I know I've been riding him a lot during this streak. I was lucky enough to pick him up sort of at the outset of it and have been ready to drop him when it ends. But he's been cold lately. No points, just one shot on goal in the last two games. But he's playing with Alex Ovechkin, so I don't think I'm ready. No, no, to... Brian, Burakovsky's not playing with Ovechkin. I will repeat, line one, Ovechkin. Oh, wait, sorry, I meant, sorry, I meant Backstrom. I meant Backstrom. I meant Backstrom. Sorry, oh, he's playing with Backstrom. Who's oh, an excellent setup yes. guy. And I'm hoping that Backstrom could can set up Burakovsky for a couple more points. Or we'll see how long this experiment lasts. I'm willing to give Burakovsky, like, another game or two to see what happens with him. Um, but maybe now is the time you start looking at replacement options if you streamed him into your lineup, as I did at some point in the last few weeks. Okay. And now I'm going to run down, like, there's a whole bunch of injuries really quickly. Claude Giroux, he's going to be back. Some interesting things happening with the uh, Philadelphia line. Sam Gagne, I said, was on the top line, but I wouldn't worry about it. Marion Hossa on Chicago, he's out for a while. It looks like Andrew Shaw might have some fantasy relevance again. He's the kind of guy that just like out of nowhere will get on a good line, do really well, then disappear again. So now might be the time to grab Shaw again, even though Chicago just had a brutal game today. But he's playing with Taves for what it's worth. Brian, maybe you could just like interrupt me if you think there's anything worth saying about any of these things. Uh, LA, Kopitar, and Gabrick are both down. Gabrick long-term, Kopitar hopefully not for long. Dustin Brown was really hot playing on the top line with Kopitar. But now he's been bumped off and he's back to being, you know, irrelevant. And now the main line in L.A. is Carter to Foley and Lucic. But hopefully Kopitar will be back soon. Brian, Yeah, Lip. I feel like this is bad news for Dustin Brown to interrupt you to, to get that Please. in, Elon. I, I feel like Dustin Brown can produce in one situation and that's when he's playing with Kopitar. Now that Kopitar's out, I don't think Dustin Brown takes that weight that was on Kopitar's shoulder and puts, him on his own ba- puts it on his own back. I think uh, Dustin Brown is probably... Uh, droppable if Kopitar is out for any length of time yeah I think that Brown and Andrew Shaw are pretty similar like they heat up for a short time and then they completely disappear I I wouldn't want to depend on either of them like no matter what's going on in the roster because it never lasts question in the chat good news for Jeff Carter and Tyler Toffoli though who move up to the top line yeah bad news Uh, for Tanner Pearson 
well, he's been slow for a while. Yeah. yeah. Then you've got like a question here about Justin Falk. He's been like day to day forever, which is annoying. Apparently, there was a chance he was going to play today, and then at the last minute they decided not to. But he played in the warmups, so hopefully this is the type of situation where he is actually going to get back in the lineup soon. He's not just going to con- continue being day to day like forever. I think he'll be back next week. Um, who else do I have here? Brian Little is injured, might not be long-term. Uh, the top line has been Wheeler with Perot and Ehlers. And uh, Ehlers got a goal. I don't know. There's also a thing where Ehlers got bumped for Ladd a couple of games ago. And they, they went with Little, Wheeler, and Ladd, like, like the good old days. But then, you know, since then they've put Ehlers back. And now with Little injured. But hopefully that won't be for long. I don't know Brian... about Little's, Little's injury. They've been pretty quiet about it. And he's been like day-to-day or I don't know if they put him retroactive IR off the top of my head. But he got hit pretty hard before going out. And it was to the head. So hopefully he's not out that much longer. But I feel like there also is the possibility that there is a setback um coming i mean it, it's ridiculous to try and speculate on players health and, and injuries uh, but just to be mindful of i wouldn't consider it a necessary slam dunk that he's going to be coming back soon andrew ladd by the way while we're on the jets has had a couple uh little spurts there a couple signs of life coming from andrew ladd i'm personally really hoping they continue uh he is playing you know there's all that contract talk and there were some trade rumors around him i don't know how much that'll affect his play Um, but I do think he's better than he's been able to show for most of the year. And uh, there is still a chance for me that he comes on. So I think he's somebody to definitely have on your watch list if somebody got impatient, as they probably did in your league, and dropped him already. Yeah, So and also he might just get traded, and then we'll definitely be discussing the fantasy impacts of that if that happens. Uh, Still a couple more. It's been such a rough week for injuries, man. Ryan O'Reilly, like I mentioned before, is out. Pretty much bad news for everybody. Like, if you look at that really hurts the Buffalo lines like now you see the the line used to be o'reilly with kane and reinhardt and now justin bailey takes that spot and i don't think i'm going to suggest picking up justin bailey maybe the only person who this could be somewhat good news for is evander kane who now gets a chance to really stay on that top power play where he'd been bouncing around like they're gonna have to but this top power play right now is like kane eichel jamie mcginn and sam reinhardt then obviously wrist aligning on the back end so just a really tough loss and i'm an o'reilly owner and you are too, Brian. And that's that's a really tough loss for both of us. And couple. He's been awesome. And okay, last one. There was a rough game of the Blues against the Coyotes yesterday because apparently Oliver Ekman Larson was injured. We don't know yet for how long it'll be. Alex Steen got injured, and that's going to be for a long time. They're not even going to check in on him for another four weeks. But I will say about Oliver Ekman Larson's absence is that in his place kevin connaughton played over 30 minutes and he had a goal and two assists on six shots on goal so out of nowhere some fantasy relevance for kevin connaughton who was picked up i think on waivers when he was dropped by was it columbus like earlier in the year and also yesterday uh, michael stone yeah and then also michael stone had two assists so i think if oliver ekman larson is out for a little while maybe there's some short-term uh value in picking up a guy like kevin connaughton yeah, nobody's going to step right into Ekman Larson skates, obviously. And Kanan, actually, we talked about him. He's I know he's been in Winnipeg system, and we talked about him at some point. I can't remember how long ago it was as a candidate to step up as a blue jacket. I'm pretty sure it was uh, when there was an injury that maybe he could pick up a couple points here and there. He's not going to be an offensive guy. He's not going to get a ton of points. If I'm choosing one or the other, Stone is definitely my pick. Uh Otherwise, I wouldn't go much deeper than Stone unless you're in a really deep league or really desperate or really, you know, throwing a dart, uh, really need to find that needle in the haystack. Yeah. Okay. So 
also with Alex Steen, the one maybe thing you could say is he obviously his spot on the top power play is now available. It looks like Jaden Schwartz took it in the last game. We already told you to pick up Jaden Schwartz if he was available. So I just don't want to talk about injuries anymore. Too depressing. Oh, someone's asking in the chat about Camilleri. Word is he'll be back next week. So hopefully that'll be the case for us Camilleri owners. Brian, what do you think about taking on some of these questions now before we close out the show? Yeah, I'd say let's give it about 10 minutes. All right. So definitely, guys, try not to ask any more questions because we've got a big list here and we'd like to help you out. Maybe before we get into them, let's quickly thank the patrons of Keeping Carlson, by the way. Uh, You know, you guys have been supporting us all season long. We're heading into the fantasy playoffs and we really want to thank you. Like, it's probably because the patrons that were doing this live show in the first place because we got to test it out with the patron cast and those are always a lot of fun. But yeah. If you want to help support the show, we have this patron program. $5 a month gets you access to our Facebook group, our monthly patron casts, and our undying gratitude. So you could check out more information at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. And I want to specifically thank Ryan and Corey, who signed up just recently. So thank you guys for signing up. And I think you're going to have a good time. And don't forget, you don't have to commit to being a patron, right? You could sign up uh, for a month. And then if you don't like it, you could cancel after that month. Uh, so, you know, give it a try. Join the Facebook group. It's a really handy to be able to run these ideas, you know, as your fantasy playoffs approach and you want to ask, should I add this guy or should I drop this guy? Should I make this trade right before the trade deadline? It's nice to be able to have some people to bounce it off of and our patrons are like the smartest people that I know about fantasy hockey. Yeah, and they'll have a patron cast where it'll essentially be a live show, but totally directed. The direction is chosen by the patrons uh, and they can ask us anything they want or whatever they want at us. And we will uh, give them our opinion and advice live. That patron cast, you can still get in on it if you become a patron. I think, Elon, we have it scheduled for March 2nd. It's going to be right after the trade deadline. Uh, so whatever changes, whatever fancy implications come with the trade line, uh, if you're a patron, you're going to get our thoughts on it uh, several days before our next episode comes out. So we'd love if you joined, if that sounds appealing to you, if all those benefits really uh, get you going. Or if you just want to support the show, we appreciate that too over at keepingcarlson.com slash patron. Yeah, that's going to be an epic patron cast right after the trade deadline. I expect there's going to be a lot of movement. Um, Okay, we've got questions. You've got questions, I should say. Hopefully we have answers. Let's go. Dave asks, who goes on the top line when Hoodler is traded? So first of all, I guess this is a big win, right? Like, But everyone is assuming that Yuri Hoodler is not going to last on the Calgary Flames. And it's actually tough because when we see some uh, trade questions and things about like, should I get Hoodler? Hoodler's been so good and he's in such a great position playing with Gojo and Monaghan and on the top power play. And it took a while for him to get there, but now he's just rolling. So first there's like that whole separate thing of like, do we want to rely on Hoodler? Because if he gets traded, maybe he'll be more of a depth guy and not a top line guy like he is right now in Calgary. So I think that's something you have to be concerned about with Hoodler. But if he does get traded, then someone else gets that awesome spot with Gojo in Monaghan. So, Brian, do you have a sense of who that could be? No, no. And I, <laughs> I'm not even going to speculate, I don't think, until if and when Hoodler's traded. I know the trade rumors were really swirling around him. But uh, until I see the trade, he's the guy there. And I, okay, I, well, I think, well, earlier this season, Elon, though, I guess we could go back if I were to give a slightly more useful answer. Uh, and say uh, Hoodler has not been with those two all season. In fact, I'm just bringing it up to make sure they spent some time, oh, yeah, with David Jones. So, you know, I, I don't know who the real replacement might be on that top line because you've got the second line essentially set as Backlund, Bennett, and Froelich. I'm not sure if one of those guys makes the leap or they look to somebody 
uh, on the third line or maybe in the AHL if they're out of the playoffs to try and get some reps in the NHL to put up there with them. But for now, I'm really big on Hoodler. I have him on my team. I picked him up as a free agent, lucky enough to do that and hang on long enough uh, to reap the dividends. And I'm excited for as long as he's a Calgary Flame. If he does get traded, maybe a little less excited, but again, not not going to go there just yet. All right. Okay, so also I think that maybe Froelich could get a shot there. He had some success playing with good players in Winnipeg. So we could see. But all right, so John asks, are there any underlying numbers that show why Perron... Well, that's a hard question, I guess, for Brian to answer on the fly. But like Perron has been so successful in Anaheim. We want to know why is it that he's so much better in Anaheim than he has been in Pittsburgh. And I think he's got another goal today. Does he? Or no, he has an assist on a Getzlaff goal. So yeah, Perron is really rolling. I think it's just he's... I don't know, maybe, Brian, if you could bring up some underlying numbers quickly, but I can say it just definitely seems like he's clicking with Getzlaff in a way that he wasn't able to click with those really great players on Pittsburgh, like Crosby and, you know, Malkin, the different people that Perron got chances to play with. Nothing was really happening, but he is just on fire right now on Anaheim. I'm racing to try and uh, uh, find some, some kind of insight, but Elon, I think that's it. I think he's just fit in on that top line in Anaheim, and he's been able to stay there. When he came to Pittsburgh, um, it was a little all over the place. He never really stayed there for a very, very long stretch. And it never really seemed like he was the right fit to be playing um, with either Crosby or Malkin. So it looks like playing with Getzlaff is more his jam. And that's great for him. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to pull up things really quick, Elon, if you want to, if you have anything else to add, or I can just sort of continue looking while we have the next question asked. All right, so I'll just go through. I'm not going to answer every question. Some of these are just like more speculation. Like, will Joe Thornton be traded at the deadline? I don't know. San Jose is probably going to make the playoffs, <laughs> I think. So, or at least they have a good chance. And Thornton has been amazing. So I don't see why why he would. Um, what's a good question here? Oh, yeah. Fanuf, Brian, any updates on your thoughts on Fanuf? He got another point in the last game. Ryan is asking, how do we feel about Fanuf's integration of the Sens top pairing? Uh, no, I think it's the same as before. It's great. Anytime he's playing with Carlson, it's great when he's playing on the power play. He's not uh, as much the guy in Ottawa as he was in Toronto, but I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing. I think we said this last week that he's got a little more to work with, at least in the power play time that he does have. So I think, uh, it's funny. It's funny. I think Ottawa fans have really taken a liking to Phaneuf. And I think that, yeah, I, I don't get into the whole, uh, mindset of players much but I feel like that could be helpful I'm not going to say it's going to show up a lot in his numbers but I'm still pretty happy um with the Ottawa situation I definitely don't think it's any worse than the Toronto situation was for him yeah and I guess when you're playing with Carlson like points happen when Carlson's on the ice as we know uh at Zingy Zaps one two three asks is Shea Theodore coming back I think the answer to that is like what we said before um if uh, Anaheim trades a defenseman at the deadline, then maybe they will. Like maybe Anaheim's going to trade a defenseman for a forward since they do have a lot of defensemen. And then maybe that would open up a spot for them to call up Shea Theodore. And who knows if he would get back on the top power play. Though right now, Anaheim is rolling. Like I don't see why they would make any trade. So I wouldn't bank on Theodore. <clears throat> that's for sure. Um, okay. We yeah, have a- I'm, not, I'm not about to make any, any bets on him coming as well. Uh, just for Perron, by the way, his shot... Sun goal have been a little better since going to Anaheim and his, uh, his shot attempts, obviously the two are tied somewhat, uh, seems to be at least a little more involved in the team's o- offense than he was. The, the lines are having more success, but I guess if we dial back to, this, this is just talking about this season, Pittsburgh, everyone in Pittsburgh was struggling and he was sort of sent off 
just as the team was getting going. So it might be unfair to say, well, Anaheim was a much better situation for him. Maybe if he stuck around, things would have improved naturally. Um, but there you go. We can wrap the bow on Perron for now. We can offer more in the in the uh, patron cast or patron group or Twitter or whatever, whichever method works best for the asker. Mm-hmm. Okay, so a couple of questions here about Dubnik. Uh, he was slumping. One, uh, Bobby asked, he was slumping. Will he be okay? And then Adam is asking, is Dubnik, Varlamov, and Leonard good enough to run into a playoffs in a 10-man league? So if you want to talk about Dubnik, you know, we already talked about how Minnesota has been really good since the new coach came in, and Dubnik has had a couple of good starts. And I guess one not amazing start against Calgary, but, you know, great game today against Chicago, 31 saves and only one goal against. So I'd have faith in Dubnik, and I think Minnesota's a better team. Like Brian said, their PDO was really low for a long time, and now it's like stabilizing. And I think Minnesota should be a decent team. And I think Dubnik, Varlamov, and Leonard, it's like not a slam dunk set of goalies, but it's three starting goalies on teams that can win games. So I think you could do a lot worse, definitely. But I mean, I'd, I'd be curious to know like who you're comparing. Like, I'd like to know an example of who your opponents have. You know, if you're comparing that to like Lunkvist, Holtby, and whoever, if you're going against that guy, then I think you wouldn't have much of a chance. Yeah, or who you can get as opposed to either of those guys. If there's somebody in free agency that you're thinking of subbing in or a trade on the table that you can work with. Okay, and then, yeah, again, these trade questions. So here's a question about like Bodker, Ladder, Erickson, who's most likely to get traded? Or like, Preston's asking whose owner should be most worried slash optimistic about a potential trade. And I would say Ladd is like someone I would be optimistic about him being traded just because then maybe he'd get better minutes and a better role. Cause right now he's been like in the bottom six in Winnipeg, but obviously he gets a bump if there's all these injuries. Yeah, I think that's fair. And I think Bodker, I mean, it's not working for him in Arizona right now. So even though it was earlier this year, not to say it can't work in Arizona, but a trade might be a new opportunity for him in that sense. And Erickson, maybe he, you know, if he doesn't play, a key role as he has been playing in Boston's offense so far this year. I could see him being used, uh, I guess, in a similar way. I'm not I sure if any I, of those guys really have their value drop. I would be concerned about Erickson's value being dropped. He's been playing with Krejci, and he's just been so good. And, like, they've both been having an amazing season. I think that Erickson definitely deserves some credit. And he has eight points in his last 13 games, which is kind of average, but he's almost at 50 points in 59 games. So it's looking like 21 plus 25, that's 46 points in 59 games. Like a pretty good pretty good pace. And I think that Erickson would probably go down if he gets away from a guy as hot as Krejci. But obviously, you'd have to see. It's hard to speculate until we see what team they go to. And again, on our patron cast, right after the trade deadline's over, we'll definitely discuss the impacts of all of these guys and give you whatever we can. Um, okay, which D is going to have the best point production for the rest of the season? Oh, these are low on the list. Okay, Derek Pouliot. Noah Hannafin, Hampus Lindholm, and Fowler. So I would say that you have to sort of put this into two tiers, right? Lindholm and Fowler seem like much more sure things than Pouliot and Hannafin. And between Lindholm and Fowler, someone wrote here, not Pouliot. Yeah, Pouliot hasn't done anything yet. Hannafin had a couple of stretches and he's going to be good one day, but I wouldn't bank on him this year. Lindholm actually plays less minutes, but he's been hot lately. He scored a few goals, but I would still go with Fowler. He's the guy who's on the top power play and he gets more minutes. He's the guy I'd want the most of that list. I agree with you. Excuse my chair squeaking if anyone can hear it. I think Fowler is the most reliable of that group. So I'm going to also go with Fowler. All right. And I think that with that, we're going to end the show. 
Thank you, everyone, for joining us. I guess it's not as exciting to end the show on the questions because then sort of like, eh, I guess we're done. But this has been a lot of fun. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Thanks, everyone who showed up in the chat. It's so exhilarating just to, to be here and have you guys uh, responding and saying things as we go. Brian, say something. Uh, first up, on, on the note that you just started, thank you, everybody, who did show up today. We really appreciate it. If you're listening to this, uh, on the recorded version, please consider joining us for the live show next time. There's a ton of stuff happening in the chat. You might be able to get a question in. Uh, keep an eye on our Twitter. Um, if you're in the patron group, you can keep an eye there. Those are essentially the two places we advertise our live episodes, and we'll try and give you at least a week's heads up when it happens. But we'd really love it if you took the time um, to join us in the room. It's been a lot of fun with everyone here. Thanks for joining us. We did have one excellent question today, Elon, that we didn't get to. I'd love your take really quickly. It's it from is. John, and it appeals to both your sensibilities. Survivor keeps casting NBA and NFL alums. What NHL alumnus should apply to be on Survivor? Oh, <laughs> uh, wow. Okay, well, I could just tell you that the kid in me would love to see Felix Potvin or Theron Fleury, because those were my two favorite players growing up. Uh, more recently, I'd also love to see Daniel Alfredson, of course. Uh, I don't think it'd telling... be exciting to watch. Like you have to, you have to look for some kind of villain, like Ed Belfort, maybe since right. we mentioned him. I feel like a goalie would be a real, a really good fit, like Martin Brod Marty Brodeur or Patrick Waugh. I feel like they'd really get into it. Oh yeah, or maybe like Jeremy Roenick, who like trashed the dressing room in the Olympics. Oh, someone's writing here, Ron Hextall, John Scott. Oh, John Scott, huge John ratings. John Scott. For sure. That's the answer, I think. One. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the next step <laughs> career, for sure. Someone needs to tweet at CBS and let them know. <laughs> but okay, with that, like I always like to say, give us a five-star review on iTunes if you enjoyed the show. We uh, will let you know, like Brian said, if we're going to do another live show in a little bit. We didn't plan on doing two live shows so close together. It's just how it was scheduled. I'm not sure when the next one will be, but we'll definitely do at least one more before the end of the year. But in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at Keeping Carlson. Check out KeepingCarlson.com slash patron if that sounds interesting to you. But with that, let's cue the outro music, which I'm going to put in post. And Brian, read us the credits. All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from War on Ice, Hockey Reference, Hockey Analysis, Roto World, Yahoo Sports, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey, and of course, all the tools like Frozen Pool at DauberHockey.com. Thanks, Brian. Great job. Thanks to everyone who joined us, and we will catch you all with another regular episode next week. Until then, keep on keeping Carl Sons.